Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Man, there's not a year that goes by, not a year, that I don't read about some escalator accident involving some bastard kid that could have easily been avoided had some parent, I don't care which one, but some parent conditioned him to fear and respect that escalator. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Mall Rats. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the Eden Prairie Mall, I will be your host for the evening. My name is Don, and to my right we have suitor number one. This is John. Hey. And to my left we have suitor number two. Can you please refer to me as the second suitor? Okay. To my left, we have the second suitor. This is Ken. Thank you. And joining us tonight for the very first time, our true believer listener, suitor number three. This is Zach. Who's your favorite new kid? (laughs) Call me Donnie. So how are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing great. Glad to be talking some all rats. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah, finally. I'm doing all right. I am here and ready to go. <laughs> all right. So we are all accounted for. I love it. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking about Mall Rats. Mall Rats comes to us uh, from the Bronco Helmet, and it was submitted to us by our true believer, Zach, who is joining us tonight. Hey, Zach, why Mall Rats? It's my favorite movie since I was, well, I saw it when I was 10 years old. It was the boobs, wasn't it? It was. I mean, that was a huge part of it. The uh, third nipple, especially. Absolutely. Wait, she had a third nipple? That's where all her power came from. Then. You were. Okay. <laughs> the first time I saw it was on a bootleg that my neighbor got. Uh, it was probably when it was still in theaters. Um, but it was just such a, the dialogue just caught me. You know, it's just so funny and so well written that it's just always been one of my faves and it's actually helped me through a lot of crappy times that was just always a movie that i could go to to kind of cheer myself up all right i gotta know right now <laughs> who's your favorite character we're, yes we're doing this now i did i didn't well, fucking say anything shut up brody who's, without a doubt really oh yeah my favorite character um you know i got a real soft spot for spending 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 okay. all right Comic book guy. My favorite, of course, is Brody. Uh, I would say it was Brody is my MVP. All right. Next, rate them. One, two, three. Renee, Brandy, Gwen. Based on what? What am I going off here? No, just just you. Talk. Who Who's your first? Who's your favorite? Who's your third? Gwen, for sure. She's top. Because, I mean, she dressed up. She banged on a pool table, right? Dressed as Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Yeah, Minus but the we, mustache. Didn't, we didn't get that. <laughs> so I go Gwen top, then probably Renee. I don't know. I mean, her whole thing's so scandalous anyways. She's such a random character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Brandy. She's Brandy's not in it a whole lot. I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. her John? parts are all right, but. I'm only going to pick one, which is Gwen, because in the, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, I had a serious crush on Joey. So that'd be the 90s. The 90s. Yeah. Um, 
serious crush on her, so I'm I'm only going with her. She's all my, my top three. Oh, there you go. All three of them. I would go Brandy, Gwen, Renee. I'm going Gwen, Brandy, Renee. Yeah. So you two like the blondes. Yeah. There you go. Right on. That what is good. your top comic book reference in this movie? Shall I call you Logan Weapon X? That's a good one. Yeah. And what's yours? Uh, when they talk about the things junk. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Do you have one? No. Not at all. Sir? Same. Logan Weapon X. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, no. that, that's classic. You know, the first time I saw that, I was all in, right? Uh, question for all three of you. Had you seen Clerks before you saw Mallrats? Yes, I had. No. I saw Clerks a, a long time ago. So yeah. Mallrats wasn't until just recently. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw Mallrats first, and it was because of the Weapon X line that I went out and saw it. Clerks. And I've been a huge Kevin Smith fan ever since. So I have not done the chronology. Would somebody please enlighten me and cons- and potentially listeners also? Kevin Smith movies, please. Uh, you have, let's see if we can do this by memory. Mallrats. Nope. Chasing, Chasing Amy. Amy. Dogma. Jay and Silent Bob, right? Jay and Silent Bob. Strike, Strike Back. Back. And I don't want to count, you didn't count TV shows in there, did you? No. no. Okay. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And then I believe it was Cop Out. Nope. After Jay and Silent Bob Very Strike Back. Very forgettable movie. What, Jersey, Jersey Girl. Girl. Oh, fuck me. And fuck you and whoever else thinks Jersey Girl is not a good movie. Yeah, Jersey Don Girl. loves that Jersey movie. Girl is probably one of my top three Kevin Smith films. No I, shit. I got yes, it. Yes. No I shit. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. So, so I need to watch that. Yeah. Uh, professor, yes. Thank you. And fuck you for saying uh, stupid movie. I didn't John. say wait, wait, stupid. Wait. I said it was forgettable. <laughs> Do you like Jersey Girl? I've never actually seen it either. Dude. I know. All right, yeah. Don, please continue. Um, What was I continuing on? After Jersey Girl. Oh, okay. After Jersey Girl, Jersey Girl. Then it's Cop Out. Nope. Fuck me. Um, Would you like me to take over? No, fucking <laughs> dick. After Jersey Girl, uh, what year? Uh, 2006. Oh, Zach and Mary make a porno? Nope. Okay, fuck off. Go ahead. Clerks 2 in 2006. 2008, Zach and Mary make a porno. 2010, Cop Out. 2011, Red State. 2014, Tusk. 2016, Yoga Ho- Hosers. And then 2022, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Yeah. Now, now, there was 13 movies listed. How many of those did not make back their budget? Uh, I'm going to say Tusk did not make back their budget. I'm going to say Red State probably didn't make back its budget. But Yoga Hosers didn't make back its budget. That one actually did. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Oh. Mm. It was made for $5 million and it made... Oh, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was made for $5 million and it only made 39000 <laughs> Great. So let, yeah. So let so let me go ahead and mark wow. this now that I have to cut it because I was right in the first place. Um, where I, was oh, so? What am I at? Three. You're at three. Uh, there's uh, one or two more. Two more. Um, the cop out not make its money back. No, it was made for thirty million. And it made fifty six million. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I did. You see cop out? Yeah. Oh yeah. Did you see cop out, professor? No, sir. Oh, Bruce Willis, Tracy Morgan, fucking classic. Well, one of these should be obvious. Oh, that's Kevin Smith? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And you know what? And fuck, this is going to take his eight hours. Um, The bit in Cop Out that really hooked me is there's an Eric B. and Rakim song that plays when uh, 
Bruce Willis is in pursuit, and it just, I'm like, fucking Kevin Smith. He's great. Go on. Uh, one of them should be pretty obvious. I think one of them's Mallrats, right? Mallrats oh. did not make back its budget. There you go. It was made for... It was made for six. Six million dollars. And only brought in two million dollars. Yeah. There's one more movie that did not make back its budget. Jay and Silent Bob reboot. That is correct. Ten million dollars, and it only made back four point seven. Really? Yeah, that's too bad. But it was in the middle of a pandemic. And it's such just it? a fan movie. Yeah. Released on October twentieth, nineteen ninety five, Mallrats was directed by Kevin Smith. The screenplay by Kevin Smith. Music by Ira Newborn, and it stars Shannon Doherty, Jeremy London, Jason Lee, Claire Falani, Ben Affleck, Priscilla Barnes, Michael Rooker. And a whole bunch of other people. So I guess the obvious question is, uh, Kevin Smith as a director, are you guys fans? Take him or leave him? Is he just another director out there? One thing I love about Kevin Smith is he started as one of us. He started out as a geek, collected comics, you know, had the type of discussions that we all have. And so he understands you know, the comic book lingo, he understands the comic book world, he understands, you know, our viewpoints, just the love of movies, that that's what his movies are filled with. It's just, he's like, he's speaking directly to us in a conversation. Oh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I think that this movie really shows his young days. It it feels very much like a first movie. Yeah. It, 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 it feels uh, very innocent in many ways. And the way that it is shot, and the dialogue that it is given, it feels very much like it's his first foray into making a movie. Yeah. And I think that this, uh, I think Mallrats is one of his strongest written films. And ironically enough, it was actually his first studio film. Uh, Clerks was independent. He's a, Kevin Smith was a huge independent filmmaker. And he comes out relatively uh, the same time as Quentin Tarantino. And, you know, last week we were talking about Tarantino and his dialogue. And this week we were talking about Kevin Smith and his dialogue. And though both sets of dialogue are easily, they come off the tongue easily when they're read and it really translates on screen. But you can, it's safe to say that they are two separate styles of dialogue, right? And what I love about Kevin Smith is it is really down to earth and it's just what people would talk about. Right. And in you bring up a great point with the geek uh, in clerks, the whole Death Star conversation. I mean, who comes up with that? Right. I mean, it was just great. I just I think he's a brilliant writer. One of the things that Kevin Smith had to say about this movie, especially since it didn't do well, was in Hollywood, you fail upwards. And I really like that quote in that he admits he was starting out. This was his first big movie, and he learned a lot from him. And he went on to make a lot of successful movies. I guess uh, during the Spirit Awards around that time, he actually came out and apologized for the movie. And people were reporting that if you called his answering machine, it actually said on the answering machine, sorry, we can't come to the phone right now. We're too busy licking our wounds. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I, you got to appreciate again about Kevin Smith, you know, we're just going to be singing his praises, I think, throughout this whole thing, is that to make Clerks, he sold his comic book collection and sold everything he had to make that movie. That movie did so well, he was able to buy back his comic book collection. That's what we see in Brody's basement room. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so let's talk about this cast a little bit. Uh, I think that Jason Lee is, you know, easily... Uh, the funniest and best part of this movie. Uh, the dialogue he is given and the manner in which he uh, 
executes it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so funny. So many memorable lines. You know what I mean? And so now I think that because of Mallrats, Jason Lee gets the career he has. You know what I mean? Uh, and then you have uh, Michael Rooker, like we were talking about. Um, solid. Always solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you hear why his head was shaved? Uh, originally for the movie, he thought it would be a good idea to dye his hair gray. But apparently it looked horrible. So right before showing up on set, he shaved his head completely bald. That's why it's so white up there. Oh, that's funny. That's Couldn't funny. imagine him with hair. Uh, Do you ever see Cliffhanger? With Sylvester no. Stallone? That's where I go to first. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I go to Guardians, right? He's Yondu, and he will forever be Yondu. I know, nerd. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's fucking great in Cliffhanger. What about Days of Thunder? You know, I'm not a huge Days of Thunder fan. Yeah, but I haven't seen it in years, but that's another movie I think of. Hey, that's Michael Rooker all over the place. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Jeremy London in this movie? Um. I, I get him and his brother confused. I think his brother is in Dazed and Confused, and I think he's better of the actors. Um, Absolutely. He's fine, and he, he's a good sidekick to Brody. But yeah, I mean, I could probably take or leave his performance. Well, it meant to be Brody be the sidekick, but just Jeremy couldn't deliver. No, I think it's written that, I mean, Brody's saying the lines, right? Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's what um, Kevin Smith was trying to convey. Or... Jason Lee made it all of his own. I don't know. That's what I, I kind of felt like. Uh, T.S. was supposed to be the main focus, but Jeremy kind of mumbled his lines. He wasn't very believable. You couldn't tell that he was really that upset. There were a few scenes where he seemed to get angry or whatever, but mostly I he, he just didn't deliver it, and I felt like Brody outpowered him in every single scene. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know I, t- I, mean? I, I took it in a different way. I thought that that T.S. is unsure about himself and he is being he's being pulled along because of Brody. Brody is the one that's propping him up and pushing him to make him be a better part of himself to get him to be where T.S. wants to be. But he's reluctant to go. That's how I took it. Yeah. And Brody uh, enforces his will. You can clearly tell their friends and. uh you know, some of the, the dialogue that uh, is given to us f- firmly establishes that. So, you know, he, he was all right, I guess. What did you think of the love interest? Brandy? Did did they work with the character? Oh, their chemistry? Yeah, the I chemistry. I bought their chemistry just fine. Did you? Oh, I didn't think so. Oh, you didn't think so? No. What, where are you at? I, I didn't buy T.S. and Brandy, but I think it was probably Jeremy London's acting. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I, I would agree 100%. The other thing is, I guess... Uh, Shannon Doherty and Jason Lee on set hated each other. They did not get along. And I, from what I've read, if you watch certain scenes, especially the elevator scene, you can just see it in their eyes that they just do not like each other. Well, I mean, I think that works perfectly for that scene because she is so upset with it. I mean, she's calling him questioning his libido, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being small. <laughs> you said it was a good size. Talk about Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, I guess, originally wanted to play, I believe, T.S., but he got cast as Shannon. And I wonder, do you think they named him Shannon just to annoy Shannon Doherty? Oh, probably. Pro- probably. Because that's a very Kevin Smith thing to do. Yeah, he seems to you know sneak things in just to piss off certain cast members. Yeah. Um, ben Affleck plays such a dick. He's a total douchebag. 
yeah, that dazed and confused, and you know, uh, I understand why Jersey Girl got panned is because him and J Lo were doing the thing at the time, and it just Geely came out first, and it was just really bad timing. But I think Ben Affleck at, is at his best when he's playing the not nice guy. So um, in this, he's a douchebag. Uh, Dogma, you know, he plays that arrogant douchebag type and then um i mean he tones it down for chasing amy and i and i think that he does a really good job in chasing amy but i thought ben affleck was perfect as shannon hamilton in chasing amy doesn't he try to turn a lesbian yeah kind of so he's still well, kind he of does. a dick was that he does turn a lesbian doesn't he i think so they have like a threesome or something i can't remember yeah they do eventually sleep together i can't remember if they end up together at the end though Although I do know that's uh, you know well, Silent Bob's famous chasing Amy story. Well, you can we, tell that Amy story all the time. We know that they had a kid together. He was the surrogate to their the the lesbian couple. Oh, was that from the reboot? Yeah. Oh, see, I don't even fucking remember the the reboot. <clears throat> and I keep meaning to go and watch it. That just bringing that up is one of the best things I think about a lot of these Kevin Smith movies is the view askew universe. The fact that he connects characters. He basically wants to create his movies like they are comic books and how comic books do crossovers. Like you'll see Spider-Man show up in a Daredevil comic book. He wants to do that in his movies. So, for example, we got Gil Hicks, who is the cousin of Dante Hicks. We've got you know, the story of William showing up. Well, the story of William, cousin William, is actually Snowball from the story in Clerks. You know, the fact that Randall and uh, Brody both talk about their cousin William shows that they're cousins. I mean, it's just, it's all interconnected in all of his movies. And then it keeps going throughout. Yeah, and then you have the Julie Dwyer who dies and can't be on the game show, and that's whose funeral Randall and uh, Dante are going to in Clerks. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it's all connected universe. Uh, Kevin Smith was doing it before that one company started doing it. So do you think they... uh Got the inspiration from him? Oh, yeah. Kevin Smith inspired everyone. College student T.S. Quint is preparing for a trip to Universal Studios Florida in Orlando with Brandy Svenning, during which he plans to propose to her. However, Brandy tells him she cannot go due to having volunteered to fill in as a contestant on Truth or Date, her father's dating game show, because the original contestant had died from an embolism bursting in her brain while swimming 700 laps at the local YMCA following T.S.'s comment regarding her weight. T.S. dismisses the blame, and they argue over this and break up. T.S. turns to his best friend, Brody Bruce, who has been dumped by his girlfriend, Renee, and Brody suggests that the two might find comfort at the local mall. Brody and T.S. discover Truth or Date is being filmed at the same mall through their friend, Willem, who throughout the film tries to see a sailboat in a magic eye poster which ironically has no sailboat in it, but just some rows of random geometric shapes. The two ask local slackers Jay and Silent Bob to destroy the stage, a task for which they devise elaborate but ultimately unsuccessful plans. Brody and TS run into Trisha Jones, a 15-year-old senior who is writing a book on the sex drive of men ages 14 through 30, for which she has sex with various men as research and films every encounter. She then reveals that the previous night she had sex with Shannon Hamilton, a 25-year-old clothing store manager who hates Brody because of his lack 
of shopping agenda. So uh, it opens up and we get the uh, first wonderful quote from uh, Brody, Jason Lee's character about his cousin Walter and the gerbil getting stuck up his ass. Uh, And then we go right into the opening credits, which are all comic books. Obviously, those comic books were inspired by uh, something, and it's Kevin Smith paying homage to his comic books and and just to the love of it. Um, I thought this was fucking badass. I guess he actually went out and got famous comic book artists to actually do these comic books for Shannon Doherty's comic. Obviously it's done in a 90210 style, uh, but it kind of has an, an image comic reference to it. Jeremy London's comic is a madman style by caliber comics. Jason Lee, of course, got the Superman reference in there. Uh, Claire Forlani, uh, you brought up uh, a good point of that. It has a shark in it, which does not just, you know, that's pretty much our first jaws reference in there, which there are a lot of, of references to the best movie ever made. Yeah. The 1975 Steven Spielberg classic, Jaws. It's also kind of a reference to Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, which was a DC comic book. Ben Affleck, which is, you know, the character on it's Buttman. But it's kind of funny that they did a Batman reference so far ahead of time. And I think that's one of the reasons why Kevin Smith has always supported Ben Affleck playing Batman. Joey Lawrence Adams. She's Fairchild from Gen 13, which was a Wildstorm comic, Wildstorm comic, which is under the image blanket. Renee Humphrey, Marvel's Weapon X. Jason Mewes, DC's Legends of the Dark Knight. Ethan Supley, uh, Marvel's uh, Incredible Hulk. Stan Lee, they did an original version for him for Stan the Man, which was one of his biggest nicknames. Priscilla Barnes, Marvel's Fantastic Four. She was designed to look like Invisible Woman. And Michael Rucker also had an original version. And then back to the opening where he's talking about the cat and the gerbil and, you know, his cousin's ass. All the stores, as they're panning through, all the stores' names always crack me up. Yeah. Because you yeah. have, like, burning flesh, popular <laughs> The girl. tanning place, yeah. Yeah. R- rug munchers. Rug munchers. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably my favorite one. We see right up front what kind of movie this is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get, and, and I think this is what uh, Kevin Smith was going for, that he was paying homage to 80s movies? With just kind of the the quick party storyline and just the unnecessary nudity. Um, no, I, I think Mallrats feels very nineties, and it it definitely it definitely fits the tone and the time period that they're in. Um, I don't know. I didn't see anything too eighties. I didn't see John Hughes when I watched this movie. How about that? I'm thinking more of like in the eighties, there was just a string of movies produced and thrown out there that were just very campy. I can think of some of those wild, you know, river rafting movies, you know, uh, revenge of the nerds, things like that. That's just quick campy jokes. And you know, the low guys versus the big guys. And there's the nudity just thrown in to get, you know, the guys watching, it's kind of felt like that's the style he was going for, and he was kind of paying homage to it. Uh, I, well, I guess maybe you could see it that way. I, I don't think I did. Yeah, it could I, be like that, just with better dialogue and better writing. <laughs> better nudity, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Three nipples. Yeah. Uh, we are now introduced to uh, T.S. Quint, uh, another reference. Uh, what does T.S. stand for? The shark. The shark. That's the only thing I could think of, too. Yeah, the shark. Quint. All right, so this is where we get introduced to T.S. Quint and Brandy. Uh, they're about to go on their trip, but they can't. What do you guys think of this? You know, it's funny. I just rewatched it again last night. I almost didn't feel like they really broke up. I felt like they just had an argument. 
I felt the same way. It felt more like an argument than a breakup. And also, I thought he was being a complete dick. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But, I mean, he he had plans. I mean, he was really excited. And it all comes out of disappointment. You know, you can't tell me that you guys have never been that disappointed where you just turn into an asshole. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, if what Jeremy, if Jeremy London does anything good in this, is he plays disappointed really well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're asked to believe that these two have been a couple for a while. They are in college. They're yes. college students, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this is also where we get to uh, introduce to Brandy's dad, played by Michael Rooker. And uh, this is where we get our meat of the story, right? They're going to break up. Brandy has to be a contestant on her dad's TV show because TS made a comment to the gal who was supposed to. And that's just such a Kevin Smith thing, right? Of, of any reason why you can't be on a TV show is because you were afraid you're going to look too fat, swim 700 laps, and get an uh, aneurysm. So Now, one of the things that I've read is that there's an extended version, I believe. Zach, you have seen the extended version. Do you recommend it? I have. I've seen it once, and... You know, I think it's referred to as the director's cut, but Kevin Kevin Smith calls it the cut that should have never existed and absolutely do not recommend. Yeah. I guess in that cut, there's a scene that happens before this at a governor's ball where T.S. accidentally shoots the governor, costing Svenning some big pay raise and some, you know, his future career and all of that. And so that's why the dad really hates TS. And then you guys bring it up later on, something about a governor's ball. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been meaning to get that copy from you because even though he says not to watch it, as a Kevin Smith fan, you got to watch it. Sure. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, so uh, they break up and TS goes to Brody's house or is on his way to Brody's house, but we cut to uh, Brody. I like the bit... um, when Renee is knocking on his head and he just snaps awake and he's all for fuck's sakes, knock it off. <laughs> it sounds like a coconut that she's knocking on. Oh, it's so good. So good. What'd you guys think of these two? I totally buy these two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I bought that. She, you know, he deserved to get dumped. He was a complete dick. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, he sits there and he has a Sega game paused all night long but he has to start playing it and can't pause it again while she's basically trying to talk to him. Hey, in his mind, his reasoning is completely justified, which is what? Yeah. Hey, Hartford, the well, they be Vancouver want what once, maybe twice in a lifetime. Yeah. A breakfast breakfast. I love that. <laughs> uh, you can uh, immediately see that this relationship is on the rocks. Jason Lee or Brody's character um, is, kind of oblivious to it really because he's he's kind of wrapped up in his own world and and that's who this character is uh his name is brody bruce this is another reference to the greatest movie brody being chief brody and bruce being the name of the mechanical shark you know what's funny is uh they cut to jason lee's room and he has all of the comic posters right and back in 95 probably not the coolest of things you know what i mean and it's ironic that now today you can't watch a movie without seeing some sort of a comic somewhere. 
You know well, what I mean? So, I mean, times change. Here's one of my violations of this movie is that, and it's something I'll nitpick, any comic book collector would not put posters on his wall over the top of other posters. They wanted, wanted to keep them all pristine and be able to see all of them. And it looked like some set designer came in and just slapped posters up on his wall, taped over other posters. I never once put that together. I get that. I've, I've always admired his room. I thought it looked so cool, you know, back seeing it for the first time. It just seems so 90s. Oh, With the, the Tremors poster and the Comedy Central, like, neon light. Yeah. I loved that as a kid. <laughs> Uh, did you, he also had a poster of legend. Did you see that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> legend. Um, so Renee and Brody break up. We now cut back to TS who is on his way to Brody's house. And this is where the two, you know, we get to see them interacting and now we can tell what kind of friendship they have and just the whole dialogue between them. I really, I really enjoy this scene. I think one of my favorite bits in the scene is when, uh, Brody says, hey, I tried to teach you how to treat comic books, but you wanted to go play Little League. (laughs) I always thought that was good. I feel like at some point in our life, especially maybe this circle, we all had friends either like Brody or like TS. So I have to ask you, in your friendship, were you more Brody or were you more TS? I was more TS. Were you more TS? Ken? TS all the way. Probably TS. I think I was more Brody from my old work history. The fact that I worked so many years in a comic book shop, Toys R Us, and just still have a huge collection. And as you guys know, uh, I can't stop collecting. And I and now I don't even let people like take things out of the boxes. They all have to stay in the boxes. See, this coming from the guy who's wearing a movies jersey. So... No fucking shit you were fucking Brody. <laughs> and it's funny. The jersey that I'm wearing, my, my movies jersey... I will only wear it for special occasions like this show. Uh, did you have it when we when the four of us saw Kevin Smith? I think so. I think I was wearing it, wasn't I? I also, for our loyal listeners, I have the heads of Kevin Smith and uh, Jason Muse on our table here. And before you guys start calling the police or the FBI, what he means are hockey masks that are painted like Jay and Silent Bob. Dude, you can't tell people that we have people's heads on our table. Yeah, they're actually signed by them, and I got them because I am a loyal member of the Kevin Smith fan club. Ah, nice, nice. Uh, so uh, TS goes and commiserates with Brody at his house. Uh, this whole interaction, this is probably one of my favorite scenes. You know, just uh, the way they interact and just the dialogue that they have, I think it's brilliant. And I love the fact that Brody's solution to everything, to all their problems, is staring at them right in the face, going to the mall and Go to Tia, the fucking mall. Yeah, they got new cookies, <laughs> new cookies at the food stand. Um, yeah, and I, I I just think that's great. So they're off to the mall, and I have to say that I I really liked the fact that Brody's character had a reverence to the mall, right? Because as they're walking in, uh, TS is something you know at uh, a mall, and then Brody has to correct him and says. Uh, not a mall, the mall. Show some respect. And then later on, uh, they have uh, uh, conversations about what is and isn't in the food court. And I, I just think it's, I think it's great that uh, Brody's character has that that type of relationship with the mall. I just think it's funny. Is this where they have the conversation about Superman and Lois? Not yet. What's the very first thing that happens when they get into the mall? 
we meet Shannon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he helped. Mm-hmm. He bumps into him and he spills his Dixie cup. Do you want to say something? Yeah, about a million things, but I can't express myself monosyllabically enough for you to understand them. That's such good writing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it all ends with a fuck you. And then so they go walking through the mall and uh, this is where Brody's giving T.S. advice on his love life. And what does he say? Uh, something about always looking forward. And then he gets hit with this big piece of trust. And then, again, I think what's great about Brody's uh, deliveries are his snap or uh, the way he snaps at it. Now, what the hell was that? Right. Um, It turns out there is a a game show going on, but they have to find that out from William. What do you guys think of this character? I loved him. I, I And it's funny, this last viewing of it, when they actually show the poster, I paused it and did the staring thing and saw the shapes. <laughs> oh, did you? You can actually do it. and Because I kept saying, I thought it was supposed to be fruit or something. So I was staring at it and looking. I'm like, all I'm seeing is shapes. I, Turns out, that I guess that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, I got to be honest with you. Every time I watch it, I try to see the ship, and I can't. So Yeah, there is no ship. I know. I just, I love the magic eye, the fact that that's in there, because that is so 90s. I remember having those, the magic eye books at the house, which I could never do as a kid. I just stared at them. (laughs) Oh, really? Just like William. Oh, Oh, so you're William. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Relax your eyes. My dad went out and bought one because he thought it was so cool. A big poster size and he had it framed and everything. But my mom made him hang it in the garage. (laughs) So we had to go stand out in the garage and stare at it. Oh, that's funny. So those posters, those are stereograms. Is that their call? Yeah, stereogram. And so what it forces you to do, if you're able to do it, which apparently William never can, is you split your focus and you make each eye focus on something uh, parallel. It's close to it, but it's slightly parallel from one another. And then it tricks your brain into trying to focus on something that might be further away. And then as you focus on that thing that's slightly further away, you create a parallel vision experience. Yeah. And that's why we call him the professor. Well done. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So after they find out what's going on and T.S. starts freaking out that Brandy's going to be auctioned off on live TV, uh, they go out and seek the help from our recurring characters from Clerks, Jay and Silent Bob. Dun, dun, dun. I fucking love this intro to these characters right here. So memorable. Standing in front of the pet store. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love the fact that, you know, in typical Jay fashion, that every woman that walks by, he jump, runs up and dances right behind. and Yeah. And just the musical cue that's happening at the moment. And when he's pounding on the glass, I mean, it almost comes into beat, right? And, you know, Jay runs out to Brody and they do the whole snoochie-boochie thing. And it, it's so fucking good. And this is where we get the, you know, uh, Brody says, uh, we need you to go knock down this stage. And Jay's like, shit, we were going to do that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And when we meet him, Silent Bob's trying to do the Jedi mind trick. He's Mm -hmm. trying to move the the cigarette with his hand. And uh, it's so funny. And and one of my, it's such a subtle line. But when uh, Brody looks to Silent Bob and says, the force is strong with this one. Jay's reaction. 
dude, don't encourage him. <laughs> it's so good, and it's so subtle. You know what I mean? Um, Jason Mewes came very close to not being in this movie because I guess he was having a lot of drug problems, a lot of not showing up. And did you hear who they had ready to just jump into the role? James Vanderbeek. No. <laughs> Seth Green. Seth Green. They had him on call to come in and fill that role. So does Seth Green become Jay for the rest of the Skew universe, you think? That would be my guess, unless... Potentially. So different. Yeah. So different. So glad that didn't happen. Mm. Yeah, it, it can't be anybody but Jason Mewes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what? And even more of a subtle gesture or whatever it was is when they leave, you notice that he grabs their dicks on the way out. Jay does. Yes. Oh, my God, it was so funny. That's what I've recently, all the times that I've seen it, I always thought he does like a backhand junk tap. Yeah. But when you watch it, he actually like goes in and grabs both of their crotches as he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And so throughout this movie, we're going to get introduced to uh, more and more characters and TS and Brody are kind of our uh, navigation through it. You know, so we go from William to Jane Silent Bob and now we're introduced to Trisha and we get her backstory. Kevin Smith introduces us to some very interesting characters. Well, the the funniest thing about it is I think the first time I saw this movie, you know, just went for the ride, laughed the whole way through. But now that I'm older and, you know, I've got a stepkid and I know people with daughters and thinking this 15 year old is sleeping around. It it had a whole different effect on on me. Yeah. What the fuck? I I did the math on that immediately. It's like, that's fucking sick. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. However, I guess if you were going to write it, Kevin Smith kind of does cover his bases. He does. Uh, everything's consensual and the parents know. Yep. And and ultimately, I mean, she's getting, she's going to write a book for it. And, you know, I guess in 95, you didn't blink twice at it. Well, and I think too, he, as you were saying, he covers his bases. There is a payoff at the end with basically, you know, someone getting in trouble for sleeping with her. So they basically, you know, Kevin Smith reinforces it, that it isn't right. It isn't a good thing. Yeah. But I'm immediately thinking, how can a publisher go ahead and have this author write a book knowing that it is underage sex? That's what I thought about immediately. Maybe they don't know. It's, maybe she's I, writing I as a pseudonym yeah, and pretending I don't know. to be older. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know. Uh, Shannon does say, I thought she was 36. <laughs> oh, man. But I, You're I, at the fucking end. I like her little calendar where she has the little symbols for each thing, the yeah. grass, the the graphs, and yeah. If I draw eyebrows, it means this. And, and, the, and I love the uh, uh, when uh, Brody says, you know, I'll be a subject. And she goes, yeah, I doubt that, Sego boy. I thought yeah. it was a nice that story. part, the her little notebook, though, cracks me up. because I mean, that part shows how immature she is as a 15-year-old. Her all of her notes are little pictures of smiley faces that she's drawing in her notebook in her calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I do enjoy the the food court versus eatery dialogue that goes back and forth here. That, that's a fun little moment. So Jay and Silent Bob have the blueprints, which, which is, they stole from some foolish carpenter. I love you, that bit of that. Did you notice it looked like an Acme? coyote kind oh yeah of yeah blueprint and the whole thing felt like all their attempts felt very looney tunes oh i know and it didn't take me out of it and i thought it was just fucking hilarious you know what i mean so um i felt differently i i felt like that the setup of, of and the execution of it i 
I thought it felt way too long, way too contrived. It, 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 it felt clunky, but I just chalked that up to this is an early Kevin Smith experience and he's just going, you know, with what he's doing the best he can. Sure. So they try and uh, sabotage the stage. They are going to attack the, they Le are Fleur. going to attack LaFleur, the most feared security guard in the business. And he has a sock full of quarters. And as soon as the little kid comes and he looks over and he goes to backhand him, you know what's going to happen. I mean, Kevin Smith doesn't try to hide it. The one thing, every time I see the actor who plays LaFleur, do you not think the running man? Uh, yes. Who was he in the running man? He was... He was the uh, security guard that protected the host. Oh, he Richard was, Dawson's character. Oh, he wasn't one of the fucking gladiators? No, he was the guy who says at the end, I got to go score to me some steroids. Was that your Russian accent? Uh, he's more Swedish. He's, was that your Swedish accent? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, don't ever do that That's shit That's how again. he does it. <laughs> don't ever do that shit again. And then, since we're talking about LaFours, he's referenced to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. who the most feared... Uh, Lawman, right? That's right. after him wearing the same exact hat. I was gonna say the hat. I think was the big reference. Fuck, I didn't know that. And it even and Jay says I hear he he's even got two kills, which would be a reference to, I guess Butch and Sundance. Oh, nice. Have you ever seen Butch uh, Cassidy and Sundance Kid? I have. Yeah. So I don't think I have. Uh, is that that's Newman and Redford, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Is that the raindrops keep falling on my head? Yep. When he's riding his bike. Yep. Maybe I have seen it. Um, can we go? But it's been a minute. Can we talk about the Man of Steel conversation? Yeah, let's fucking fire it up. Why not? Have you ever read the essay? I think it was a 1971 essay called "Man of Steel: Woman of Kleenex." No, that is what that whole conversation is based off, and it's a really interesting read. It's all the reasons why Superman could basically never have sex with a mortal woman, especially could not get her pregnant. Because basically Lois would die in all these horrible, just inconceivable ways. Yeah. Well, interesting. It, it's actually a very interesting read. It's or, like it's published from like a scientific viewpoint of all the reasons why it just would not work. Or I would have to immediately just start by saying, duh, he's a fucking alien. No, I mean, come but, on. But here's his the, Kryptonian Kryptonian makeup wouldn't allow for it. But here's the it's a no brainer. Here's the thing that kind of bothers me a little bit. And I think it could be because of this essay that DC has rewritten Superman's origin. One of the stories is he doesn't get his powers right away. He got his powers when he turned like 13 or 14. So that's one way they kind of wrote it in that Lois could get pregnant. The other one is, is while the baby is in the womb, he is not getting that direct sunlight. He's not getting the sunlight that charges him up. So the baby would be mortal until it was born. Yeah, I, uh, I don't care. Because you know what? You can't change Superman's origin. Yeah. I don't give a fuck if DC did it or not. The only reason I bring this up is, you know, from working so many years in a comic book shop, these are the conversations we actually had every single day i believe things like this i thought you brought it up because you're a nerd well there's that too but i didn't want to point out the obvious no i I accept that it's more of a geek than a nerd because i'm not that smart semantics so also brody sees renee in a clothing shop and he goes in to talk to her and i thought this dialogue was really fucking funny too he tells her um okay you want to break up fine we're broken up but now we have to i want my stuff back and she's like what stuff <laughs> and in, she starts in naming, 30 seconds we get their whole relationship from absolutely 
Yeah, that he's left all this stuff. I really like them talking about the visitation rights to the mall. Oh my god! <laughs> so let's come up with visitation rights. Uh, and then uh, I like the bit where she says, uh, "When you asked me to do a strip tease to Mighty Mouse, I did it." And then the look he gives the people that are listening to their conversation is classic. Just gives them like the finger guns and the wink. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that and the fact of, was it on, on prom night when you wanted me to sleep under your bed so your mom didn't see me? Yeah. I did it. And I'm thinking, why did she stay with him this long? Love makes you do crazy things. So that was pretty funny. Well, and then, and you told all my relatives you could see my grandma's nipples through a burial dress. Like, <laughs> how messed up is that? <laughs> And now if you think I'm going to take any more of your shit, you know, she's upset. Professor, I agree. That was a great uh, summary. Their entire relationship in that 30 seconds, a hundred percent, which comes back to great writing. All right. So with their first attempt at stage destruction failed, they come up with a second attempt. And this time uh, silent Bob is going to swing down and try to pull the pin and thus Crashing the stage. Fly, badass, fly. Pull the pin and bickety bam, the whole stage comes crashing down. That's right. And so he goes through it, and this time he misses because it's very comical, uh, just like the first one was. But this time he crashes into the dressing room. Did you notice that the poster he crashed into, who was the woman on the poster? Uh, was that his wife? That was no. Jason Lee's wife. Jason Lee's wife. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I've read, that uh, that was actually a poster of Jason Lee's wife. And it, and he, he plows right through her, or right between her legs, too. Yeah. You know, I've good always, positioning. That's one of my favorite images. I actually had that as like a screenshot or whatever, just Silent Bob with his head through the wall, right in that woman's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks up, and Joey Lauren Adams socks him. And he's wearing the Batman helmet, right? And he even flares out his uh, jacket to make it like a cape, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Brody then learns that Renee has begun a relationship with Shannon. Brody confronts Renee to find out more about the relationship, and the two have sex in an elevator. Brody is later abducted and attacked by Shannon, who intends to have sex with Renee in a very uncomfortable place. Like in the back of a Volkswagen? As a result of the incident, Jay and Silent Bob assault the mall's Easter Bunny under the incorrect assumption that he attacked Brody. Brandy's father has Brody and T.S. arrested on false charges of drug possession at the mall. Jay and Silent Bob are able to rescue Brody and T.S., and they hide out at the local flea market, where they meet topless fortune teller Ivana, who gives them both advice on their relationship problems. T.S. decides to win Brandy back, and the two return to the mall. So after their failed attempt at stage crashing, uh, they come running through the food court, and we see T.S. and Brody sitting there having their conversation. And this is where uh, we see Renee and Shannon hanging out, and Brody wants to talk to Renee. So uh, what would you guys think of this whole bit? I thought it was kind of funny, the diversion that, you know, T.S. kind of diverts Shannon's attention. And I like the line about, let me tell you something about the customer. The customer's an asshole. I was struck by how doggone toothpick thin Shannon Doherty's legs looked. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> These two toothpicks go up underneath the skirt. It's like, there is, oh my gosh, she just looks, looks skin and bones. Interesting. So the scene always cracks me up with how Brody's hiding 
in the mall plant. Right. Just, I mean, such a terrible hiding job, but it's, I mean, it's so comical. I always, the first thing that always comes to mind, my mind is that's a big fucking elevator, right? Just, just the way uh, it shot. And I guess maybe I just figured this out recently in my recent rewatch, but the, the elevator doesn't move. Right, it stays in that one spot. It doesn't go up or it doesn't go down. It just stays there. It's like Brody hit the the pause button or something. Right? Is that mm-hmm. is that okay? How does Shannon and TS not hear what's going on in the fucking elevator? Well, that was loud lobby music right outside the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little piece of trivia for you. Do you know that Shannon Doherty worked in her contract? Whatever outfit she wore in the movie, she got to take home and keep. That's why every scene you see her in, she's wearing a different outfit. Oh, interesting. This is a great scene between Renee and Brody. Uh, she, they, they finally get to go off on each other, and he's all upset, and he's jealous, and, and she challenges him, and she questions his libido. libido. And But my favorite line in this scene is when <laughs> Brody can't believe that he's she's going out with the Sperminator, right? And he, and he says... He looks like a date rapist. And now every time I see Ben Affleck. <laughs> you see a date rapist. I see a date rapist. <laughs> oh, it's so, the way he delivers it and just the imagery. It's so fucking perfect. I love how after they finish, Bodie thinks they're back together and it's all worked out. Uh, too little, too late. What do you mean too little? You said it was a good size. It's so funny. And of course, Brody took it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then she has to correct him, and and this uh, so the the elevator opens up, and Renee gets off, and Brody grabs TS. And well, then she had they... technically already gotten off, but well, at least <laughs> no. Brody had. Brody yeah. had, and TS already makes that joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you sure you saw her get on? Maybe she was getting off. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, they run, and we have this great exchange between TS and Brody in the hallway or the wherever they're leaving mm-hmm. you know are you glowing <laughs> <laughs> and Gwen gets hit in, in the tit and then Gwen, uh i guess she really does kick jeremy london in the nuts here that's awesome yeah i think he took one for the team that was the take that they kept i kind of like the conversation that ts and gwen have afterwards where she's trying on all those different panties i don't know why but it it was endearing learning more about gwen that made her more likable to me as uh, more than just a surface character. It's throughout the movie that you can tell that they all hung out with each other and yeah. they all had gone to high school together and uh, that T.S. and Gwen had history. And, you know, even though it didn't work out for those two, they were still friends. And uh, the bit that you're talking about, Professor, is they bring up that uh, Gwen says something. Do you remember that costume party? And... Uh, T.S. is like, yeah, the one where you bang Rick Darris on a pool table. And then uh, the whole smoking the Bandit bit comes up there. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Again, just clever writing. Yeah. But you're right. We, we get to see in little pieces throughout this movie everyone's relationship and how they kind of form together. You know, I can totally picture Wh- Willem in high school, Brody and T.S., Gwen, Brandy, you know, uh, and Renee, really. I, I love. The, I can totally picture how they were in high school. I love TS's and Gwen's kind of interaction when TS makes some comment about remember when we slept, you know, slept with each other on the ski trip, and she's like, "That was you." Yeah, that's so I mean, funny. It, there's just so many of these funny little quips that, you know, if you're not paying close attention, they just pass right by so quick. Yeah, 
Yeah, because yeah. what, what we get out of this, we have these characters that we meet pretty much today at the mall because nine-tenths of the movie is at the mall. And so us, the viewing audiences, are, we're, we meet these people today at the mall, but we realize that all of these characters have a shared history together. And that is a testament to Kevin Smith's writing and what he's thinking about when he's going through and writing these scripts. Of all the characters in this movie, is it Shannon Doherty the only one that doesn't show up in later movies? I don't remember her showing up at any future movie. Was she in the reboot? I don't remember her. I don't think so. And no, she. I don't remember her being in that. And, no, and you know, so. her health was probably questionable at yeah. that time. Yeah. I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of these actors have gone on to do bigger things, but they all show such loyalty to Kevin Smith that they will show up for future projects of his. I mean, even Ben Affleck comes back for parts. Yeah. Well, there was. Uh... I guess bad blood between Affleck and Smith for a little while. And it wasn't until the reboot where they, they kind of hashed it out. Uh, Kevin Smith then Kevin Smith told us that story, I believe. Yes, he did. That's yeah. exactly what I thought. Maybe you should spend like 30 seconds talking about if you want to. I, for, I forget what the fallout was. So, yeah, there was some sort of a fallout. And Kevin Smith is wanting to do the reboot. And he really, really wants to have Ben back in the movie. And he's... And he's staring at his phone and he's like, I don't even know if this number works. I haven't talked to him in 10 years and, and we and we haven't wanted to talk to each other. And, and he's just going round and round. Do I call? Do I not call? So finally, oh, I'm going to do it. And he calls. Hello, Ben? Yeah. Kevin? And they knew each other because they were still in their phones with each other. They both still had the same phone numbers. And then they just started to talk. I seem to recall, I think Kevin Smith even got a little emotional when he was telling the... And, and that's what I love about Kevin Smith as a speaker. And if you ever he's get a good chance... Storyteller. Oh my, he's a fantastic storyteller. Um, but he wears his heart on his sleeve. And um, I, I just dig that about the guy. But um, yeah, they all, they all show loyalty to him. And we could go on and on and on about that because the bit in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are having the conversation. First you do the art film, then you do the one for money... And then you do the one because your friend says you owe him. And then they look at the camera, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so good. So Brody's standing there and Shannon pulls him into the back alley of the mall or whatever and just kind of starts pounding on him. And Ben Affleck does such a great job of being a douchebag right here. And Totally. You know, and what's Brody going to do? I mean, he's not going to be stronger than Shannon Hamilton, right? I don't think he's going to be able to fight his way out of this. Um, and we get the that running gag where he talks about you know I'm going to take her and I'm going to I like to screw my women in an uncomfortable place. What like in the back of a Volkswagen? So after Brody gets beat up, uh, he's sitting there and I like his line where he looks at them and says, "Am I still glowing?" And then uh, Jane, Silent Bob need to know what happened, and he tells him it's the Easter Bunny, and <laughs> yeah, he tells him that it, he told the Easter Bunny that the Medlow Park Easter Bunny was more convincing, right. which this, the movie was filmed at Eden Prairie and Medlow park, two different malls. One, I think what Eden park was in Michigan or something. And then I believe Medlow park was in California. Do you notice that when they go to beat up the Easter bunny, do you hear what the Easter bunny tells them as they're cutting in line? Come on guys. Can't you guys just get in line or wait? Your turn? <laughs> yeah. Like they're like, they're like their customers. <laughs> this is for Brody. Well, I uh, love that how they're beating, and then the kids start beating on them. Yeah, I, I noticed last night. Uh, Silent Bob has the Easter Bunny's ear in his mouth. He's mm. all, arr, arr, arr. 
So as their day goes on at the mall, uh, they're standing there and Brody gets himself some chocolate covered pretzels and Mr. Svenning's assistant, Rowdy Roddy comes up and tells TS that he wants to talk to him. And so Brody and uh, TS start having a dialogue about it. And this is where Brody has the wonderful idea of stink palming. Always some sort of a Kevin Smith that he has to put into each one of his movies. Some outrageous moment that people go back and forth on. The thing that is the best part of this chocolate-covered pretzels uh, stink palming thing is that the fans never forget. Do you know that at the Gardens of the Galaxy premiere, uh, Michael Rucker was there and fans were bringing him chocolate pretzels? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's amazing. I, I don't doubt that at all. Have uh, you ever wanted to stink palm anybody? Uh, I think the question is, have I ever? Have you ever palm? stink palmed anybody? You know, I'm not going to answer that only because, well, I'm just not going to answer that. Well, my hand doesn't smell very good. Well, you shouldn't have shook my hand. <laughs> the whole uh, That whole part cracks me up just because... Brody didn't have to stick his hand in his ass, right? No, like he, didn't. he could have just described it to TS, yet he decided to He is digging. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he decided it was he needed to show him exactly how to do the stink palm. In the mall. Right. So Brody's standing there with a stinky palm, and then he gets this bright idea. He smells his hand and he takes off and he goes joins TS. Uh, what'd you guys think of this exchange? It was fun. I have to say, when Brody is talking to Jared Svenning and rubbing his hand all over his hand and the ring and the the pretzels, it, every time I watch that, it gets me a little grossed out. At first, I mean, I think it's it's absolutely supposed to because why yeah. why would he lick his fingers after somebody's sweaty hands have been rubbed <laughs> yeah. all over it? The whole scene is uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, I like the whole ring thing when he's with the ring and was it cum laude? Yeah. Magnum cum laude in 1969. Brody says, I too hope to cum loud one day, preferably in a 69. This fucking dialogue. Um, and so uh, he offers Svenning a chocolate covered pretzel. He eats it. And I think this is what, if there's anything that it kind of annoyed me with this movie, it's Jeremy London's reactions to Svenning eating the chocolate covered pretzels. They're just way over the top. And how does Fenny not see it, first of all, right? He's making faces. But, I mean, I nitpick. What am I going to do? And it's at this point where Svenning uh, has set a trap for our two young heroes. And uh, he plants some, he has the fours arrest him, plants weed on him, and uh, they start getting kicked out of the mall. And did you notice uh, what Svenning does as Brody's getting arrested? snatches the chocolate covered pretzels right oh, out yeah, of his hand yeah. yeah and then so they're getting dragged out of the mall and then they see renee uh at a footlocker and they say go grab jane silent bob this is where i think one of the best lines in the movie kind of snuck in another one of those quick quips is that kevin smith told william uh, what was his name you remember the ethan name? supley ethan supley to sneak in this line where uh, Sharon Doherty runs up to him and says something about them being in trouble. Or no, she, does she run up and she say, a boat? No, Jay and Silent Bob are fucking with Willem. And uh, Renee runs up and says, uh, Brody, arrested, go help. And then Jay and Silent Bob take off. And then Renee looks and goes, oh, a sailboat. And, and Ethan simply says, says, Brenda. <laughs> She's all dick. <laughs> yeah. Is that a real reaction? Basically, Kevin Smith 
told him to say that and she didn't know it was coming. And so, yeah, she was genuinely calling him a dick for saying that. That's funny. Yeah, that's amazing. There's so many memorable lines of this film. You know what I mean? And uh, when Jay saves, uh, when he knocks out LaFleur's, I love the whole uh, uh, son of Jarrell kneel before Zod, you know, mm-hmm. and then he ends it with a snoochie boochies. It's classic. And then Silent Bob comes up and does the Vulcan neck pinch, and T.S. and Brody have to flee. Uh, so they're out running them, and again, Kevin Smith being the big nerd that he is, pays homage to Batman, and actually it's the 89 Batman mm-hmm. specifically. That's the same uh, belt. utility belt. Yeah. And then uh, the line... When Jay says, "Where do you get? Where do you get these wonderful toys?" Yep, that's the Jack Nicholson line. Mm-hmm. So, I also so like that he pulls out the inflatable doll first. And did you see Jay's look when he said, "Like, oh, I'm gonna visit that later." <laughs> Plus the vibrating finger, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's just all these Jay and Silent Bob scenes are all so cartoony. Like we talked about it. I mean, they're just straight up Looney Tunes when it's the two of them getting into their antics, and and that's what they're meant to be, and. I think anywhere else it doesn't work. Kevin Smith does such a good job with just integrating them so smoothly into these stories. Um, go back and watch Chasing Amy or Dogma or any of those. You know, they yes, they are Looney Tunes, and when you see them, they're Looney Tunes, and it only it, it leaves you thinking, "Fuck, what are they going to do next?" And I can't wait to see it. Well, here's a question for you, since we're kind of on that subject. Out of all the movies, out of all the Kevin Smith movies, what's your favorite Jay and Silent Bob like? In, or introduction or whatever into that movie, like their characters in that movie. We'll come back to that. Okay. Don't let us forget. We'll come back to that. So Brody and TS have to leave, and so they go to the dirt mall, the flea market. I love this whole bit. I mean, Brody walks around like he's a fucking celebrity. Well, the best part about it, and again, it just harkens me back to, I think, either how I was or how I am, in that he's commenting to one of the vendors, these need to have backing boards. Yeah. I just Savages. love the fact that they they go they escape one mall to go to another mall, right. right? Like that is it is what Brody does. He does love the smell of commerce in the morning, right? Like that's his first thought is let's go to the dirt mall, right? Because he knows no one will be looking for them there. You know what I mean? So it's good. And this is where we get introduced to Ivana, the topless mind reader. And where do we know her from? Is it Three's Company? She was the one that replaced Chrissy on Three's Company. Who played oh. Who played Chrissy? Uh, Suzanne Summers. <laughs> I'm the fucking best. Um, I was I was going to see if he was going to pull it out or not. Yeah, I didn't let him. But were you, were, you a, <laughs> were you a Were you a Suzanne Summers fan or Priscilla Barnes fan in Three's Company? Suzanne Summers. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Totally. Yeah, I think I'd go there too. Here's the real question. Do you think back then she had the three nipples? Well, she doesn't have the three nipples now. They're fake. She peeled that third one off. Wait, put it right in her mouth. Way to ruin that. How else is she going to get it to stick? Is that what she she just puts it in her mouth to chew on it? Or is it an (laughs) edible third nipple? I thought it was edible. That's kind of what I thought. The way I, she I didn't puts even, it in there. I didn't even think about it that way. That's I thought it was the same thing. I thought it was just a restick. I thought on. it was a suction thing. Uh, I love this bit when they walk in there because uh, TS does not want to do this. He wants to go back, try to win back Brandy. Brody's like, no, we got to do this. This is going to be really good. And then when she uh, takes off her top and it's uh, shown that she has three nipples, the vibe in there completely changes. Yeah. 
TS is all about it because he's hearing what she has to say and it's making sense. And Brody is absolutely disgusted. It is the funniest fucking switch of the two characters. It's okay. You can look. <laughs> well, she gives him the op- opportunity to check her for other extra body parts at the end there. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny. Uh, I like when uh, she goes, yeah, it's the third nipple. And TS goes, oh. You have a third nipple? I didn't even notice. And then Brody's reaction. Yeah, he loses. He's like, what are you talking about? It's clear as day. Yeah. So uh, Miss Ivana gives them some great advice. TS is all about it. And so now we head back to the mall. Before the show begins, Brody meets famed Marvel legend Stan Lee, who gives him advice on romance. This was revealed immediately after to be a request by TS, who somehow knows Stan Lee. After this, Brody requests that his friend Trisha Jones retrieve footage of her having sex with Shannon. Meanwhile, TS also persuades Jay to get two of the game show contestants stoned, which allows him and Brody to replace them on Truth or Date. During the show, Brandy recognizes the voices of Brody and TS, and an on-air argument between them ensues. Brody ultimately gets the two to stop arguing, explaining that TS has been pining for Brandy all day. Then TS proposes to Brandy, and she accepts. As the police arrive to arrest TS and Brody after the show is over, Silent Bob plays a sex tape of Shannon and Trisha, resulting in Shannon's arrest for statutory rape. Brody and Renee renew their relationship as a result. The conclusion reveals that T.S. marries Brandy at Universal Studios while on a Jaws attraction. Trisha's book is a bestseller. Shannon is imprisoned. William eventually does see the sailboat. Brody becomes the host of The Tonight Show with Renee as his band leader. And Jay and Silent Bob get an orangutan named Suzanne. But that is a different story. Roll credits. So, uh, TS and Brody make it back to the mall. And, uh, like you had said, professor TS has hatched a plan. He tells Brody to meet him at the stage, uh, before, uh, showtime. And in the meantime, Brody walks off and he runs into Stan Lee. Why was Stan Lee at the mall? He just happened to be at the comic book shop signing autographs, which Brody finds out earlier in the movie, right? And then has the altercation with Steve, Dave, and Fanboy. And who is Fanboy? Walt Flanagan. Uh, They also say Walt Flanagan. When Jay and Bob are fleeing LaFour's and they run into Brody and TS in the food court, Jay makes the comment, man, he's faster than Walt Flanagan's dog. That's right. Kevin Smith's buddy from growing up and has been in, I think, almost all the movies. That's awesome. And I like that scene, too, because Brody is so pissed. It's his mall. And how does he not know that Stan Lee is there? Well, Walt Flanagan, isn't he one of the guys who's the comic book guys? Yeah. On that show? Him and Steve Dave. Steve Dave is the, I can't think of his actual name, but the guy with the long gray Mm -hmm. hair. Doesn't he have two first names as well? That's why they call him Steve Dave? Possibly. It's Brian something, actually, thinking about it. I, I think you're right, Brian something or other. But that whole thing, he's saved by that altercation comes to an end because the security guards are pulling him away, but they get pulled away because there's a kid stuck in the escalator. That rant in the escalator bit is probably my favorite piece of dialogue. Okay, it's probably my top three favorite pieces of dialogue. Just the way he delivers it, and he's so 
so passionate about it, right? Yeah. For anybody who was around in the 90s, I feel like we did get a lot of news stories of kids getting caught in escalators back then. I hope his pants get caught in a bloodbath ensues. Yeah, because not because he hates kids, but he wants the mother to have to live with it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to fear and respect that escalator. Got to teach him that lesson. That's right. That's what's wrong with the youth today. Now, getting back to the Stan Lee thing of, of him actually meeting Stan Lee, uh, what did you think of that whole interaction? Uh, I thought it was like icing on the cake um, because Stan Lee is trying to work in romance into the conversation. And I was watching it last night, and the moment he says, it reminds me of when uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane went uh, lingerie shopping. The look on Jason Lee's face as he's coming to the realization that he's talking to Stan Lee is fucking priceless. Well, I liked right before that when Stan Lee walks up and Jason Lee's, you know, Brody's looking through the window and he goes, they look happy. And he goes, the bras? (laughs) (laughs) But don't you think that Brody would have recognized Stan Lee right off the bat? I would think he would. If for being a big comic book guy as he is. Yeah, I would think. Because even back then, I mean, they always had the animated pictures or animated like Stan Lee at the end of the comic. Not always, not in every comic, but he was in there for sure. If you ever caught, I think it was uh, the Spider Friends show. Did you ever catch that? Super Friends? No, Spider Spider Friends. It was the Spider Friends. Uh, Stan Lee always did narration on it. I feel like a real comic book geek dork would know his voice just standing next to him, just hearing that voice. And knowing he's at the mall, I would have known right away it was Stan Lee. Well, I think every kid in the 90s knew who Stan Lee was, even teenagers. I mean, but I'm just saying by his voice. You oh, no, I, I, I agree. Because that's where uh, that I think it's that series where I first heard the term true believer, mm-hmm. right? Because he was the narration and for Excelsior. It. But I love how, you know, he's trying to give him this love advice. And, you know, as earlier, Brody had said, there's so many questions he wanted to ask him. And all of them are related to superhero junk. Oh, my God. So funny. And you kind of had to know that's where it was going as soon as the conversation started. Right. The thing, is this dork made of rock? (laughs) (laughs) So they have this great, deep, meaningful conversation, and Brody uh, decides that it's time to win Brandy back. Uh, While he goes to put his plan into motion, we see T.S. get a hold of Jay and Silent Bob, and they are in a bookstore. And uh, he's reading, uh, they're looking at a penthouse, and I love what Jay says. He says, he looks like your mom. And then... Silent Bob looks at the picture and is like, yeah, well, I guess it kind of does. Yeah, he just (laughs) nods nods like, yeah, it kind of does, sure. (laughs) So good. So TS has come up with this plan to get the contestants for this game show really stoned so they couldn't go on and Brody and TS will take their place. You know, what can go wrong? I love the deal that uh, TS made with Jay. Basically, he's like, "Uh, how much do I owe you for getting them stoned? And he's like, you owe me nothing. The next time you're getting your girl off, was it, I want you to say my name? The next time you're popping your old lady, make her call you Jay. <laughs> I fucking love that. Yeah. It, it just seems like that's a very Jay thing. I mean, it's just all of the Jay, especially in these earlier movies, it just seems like it's straight up Jason Muse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While this is happening, Brody goes and finds Trisha and says, I need that tape of you and Shannon. And she's like, uh, okay. And so she goes to get it. And then uh, in the meantime, Silent Bob is hooking up a VCR. 
Well, mm-hmm. I think he's screwing with the VCR up there or something. Do you notice that when he pulls out his multi-tool and he's hanging upside down, he does absolutely yeah. nothing? He, he like, touches the front of it yeah. <laughs> with the tool. Tap, tap. And then after he's done messing with the VCR, he like makes his face and looks up to the, the trusses there and acts like he's tightening something there. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so T.S. and uh, Brody end up backstage and they get uh, two of the contestants uh, are passed out. And this is where we meet the third contestant. And this is Gil Hicks, who is cousins to Dante Hicks. Yeah, which we uh, mentioned earlier. But Gil, you know, recognizes him. He goes, hey, aren't you the guys that Svenning had arrested? They call in his assistant. I love the whole bit. Uh, these two got stoned and knocked him out or... What, whatever it was at the uh, when they said, but and then the quality acting of the security guard who kind of rolls her eyes and just says whatever. Totally right. <laughs> I like the two guys that are stoned that are surrounded by food. Yeah, <laughs> like the yeah. bags of munchies. Uh, what does Jay say? All it took was one fatty boom batty blunt. Yeah. So they managed to infiltrate the stage, and now they are the uh, three contestants uh, to this dating game ripoff. And Mr. Svenning is really on edge because the network guys are there. He's trying to make a really good impression, but for some reason has gotten violently ill. Do they call it uh, Drardia? Diphtheria. Uh, Diphtheria. Yeah, because he was eating ass pretzels, apparently, which (laughs) was a nice little touch. So Brandy comes out and they introduce, you know, the game show. It goes on. I guess I've always had this question and it's a dumb question because, you know, the answer is because that's how they wrote it. But how does she not recognize her voices? I don't know. I thought the same thing. Well, especially Brody's voice. It wasn't even the voices right off the bat. The answer, especially that TS gives is very confrontational. And so I think she, and very pointed, like, at her relationship, you think she would have called it out as T.S.? Maybe. Um, or even when Brody says, uh, can you call me the second suitor? You know what I mean? That's a very Brody thing to say. My first thought is that she had figured it out, that she knew early on that it was them, but she was trying not to screw up her dad's show. Yeah, I would go with that. I mean, like you said, T.S.'s first thing was, was she asked what type of car he would be? Yeah. Or something along those lines. He's like the type you wouldn't dump your boyfriend in. Yeah. I mean, if that's not a right. clue right away. Uh, but I think my favorite bit of this uh, entire thing is the the Gil Hicks answers. Oh. Right? <laughs> For, For sure. sure. Um, what does he say about uh, the kiss? That he's a jackhammer. He comes in hard, oh, yeah. and when he's done, you won't be the same. <laughs> and then uh, Brody's responses to all of this, right? Well, after that one, he turns to him and is like, I've seen you kiss or something along those lines. He's like, who'd you see me kiss? Some guy backstage. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was so funny. No, I, I, I didn't kiss a guy backstage. Why, are you homophobic? No, no, I love gay people. So you are gay. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets turning around. And uh, was he say, you sound like Rush Limbaugh. I don't like Rush Limbaugh. Why, you don't like fat people now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandy eventually uh, figures out the ruse. And I love the question that she asks Brody. If you were a superhero, what superhero would you be? And Brody immediately goes into Brody mode and, you know. That was a great question. Yeah. What does one base his answer on? Which is how John would do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then. I'll say, and then she says, well, how's the collection, Brody? Yeah. And he goes, oh, it's fine. Wait, comics? 
you know. <laughs> and then their dirty laundry gets aired, and uh, T.S. tells the story. Here we are. We're going to get ready. And then Brandy tells her side. And you know what? Uh, Brody can't take it anymore. So he, he, he lays it all out for him. And uh, I like the bit where he says, well, the audience would agree with me on that, wouldn't they? And then they all cheer. And T.S. had planned to ask Brandy to marry him. Ever since the beginning of the film. How, how was he going to propose? When Jaws popped out of the water. That's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. Well, it's too bad he wasn't trying to marry you. T.S. does ask Randy to marry him. She says yes. Uh, the show turns out to be a big hit, but not because Mr. Svenning made this hit. I mean, even the, the producer guys were like, ah, this is a piece of shit show. What was funny was Brody. Brody. And um, T.S. and Brandy get back together, and now it's Brody's turn to make his declaration to Renee. Shannon Hamilton's had enough. He's going to go whoop his ass, right? Uh, what did you guys think of the bit when Ben Affleck comes and starts to, he's going to kick Brody's ass and then the tape comes on and then the whole bit about uh, when he gets handcuffed? He goes, whoa, 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 you can't strike a prisoner in handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh, okay, come on, just once. <laughs> okay, just once. Okay. But before that, what did you think of the whole, again, we get back to our Star Wars reference of Silent Bob dropping the tape and having to use the force to get the tape back. Oh, my God. That was so funny. So Willem can't see the sailboat. And what's his line? When, Lord? When <laughs> am I going to see the sailboat? And uh, he kicks the fucking crane thing, and it pops the tape up into Kevin Smith's hand, which was a reverse shot, by the way, because yeah. on those ones you can kind of tell. And he uh, plays the tape, and it's immediately Ben Affleck and Trisha's character. And the the way Ben Affleck is in this whole fucking thing, right? I mean, who's your favorite new kid? Call me Joey. Call me Donnie. Call me <laughs> and it, you look at Trisha's reactions, and she's just, like, checking her nails. She's rolling her, eyes. Rolling her yeah. eyes. I was going to say, I feel kind of bad about myself in that it took this, I think, my sixth or seventh viewing of this movie this when i just watched it last night to notice her reaction i think i've always just been focused on ben affleck that says so much about you i'm I'm starting to wonder man crush but then yeah i looked at her reaction yeah she's completely bored and out of it yeah so good research all right so that uh kind of ends the flick we do get some after credits showing us that ts and brandy do get married uh as Jaws is popping out of the water, which, you know, obviously a huge fan because I mean, it's fucking Jaws, right? And then uh, we get a uh, blip about Trisha's book being becoming a bestseller. Who's her bodyguard? Who's her head of security? LaFours. LaFours, that's mm-hmm. right. And it might be more than head of security. He yep. leans over and kind of like brushes her hair over and kisses her on the forehead. Yeah, well, she needed a, a subject. At that I age guess range, sixty-five-year-old <laughs> subject. Huh? You can, maybe you can confirm. I heard that there is another extra scene that shows them, like on a tape or something, or his names on one of her tapes. Oh, I don't recall. I've yeah. seen the other, the other version once. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I kind of want to. I want to check this cut out now and see see what's there. Uh, we also get uh, Shannon's uh, future revealed, where he is in prison. Which uh, another extra scene shows him getting raped. Yeah, I do remember that because then you, because in the original, what we're watching, you just see the one hand and then the hand with the tattooed fingers that says love, right? Come over his. Mm -hmm. But in the other version, you see both of his hands and his face and the guy come up behind him. Does the other hand say hate? 
I don't recall what that's. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that would make sense, right? right? <laughs> Uh, uh, I love the bit where it says uh, William does finally see the sailboat and he looks at the camera and says, really? <laughs> You're like, you can't <laughs> believe so it. <laughs> and then the best one of all, Brody becoming the... Uh, the host of The Tonight Show. And Renee being uh, his man leader and, you know, being well-liked by his mother. I guess this was Kevin Smith playing paying homage to Fast Times at Richmond High. It's the same font. Yeah, see, yeah. he basically crafted it the same way uh, just to pay homage to a movie that he loved. Yeah, well, Fast Time, Richmond High is a good movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and then the very, very last one, we see an orangutan and uh, Jay and Silent Bob, and they're walking off into the sunset to this Weezer song. It's Weezer, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're walking off to, this, uh, to the Weezer song, and it says, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, well, that's another story. And I thought that was brilliant because, you know, their legend can go on, which ultimately comes back in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back because, you know, that's my girlfriend, Justice's monkey. There you go. That was Mall Rats. All right. So what do you guys think? Are you guys ready to rate this bitch? Oh, not yet. Really? Really. And now it's time for John's. Moment. So, as I do in all of our other podcasts, I like to compare every movie to Lord of the Rings because, well, everything compares to Lord of the Rings. This does feel a little sacrilegious as Kevin Smith tends to be a bigger Star Wars fan than he is Lord of the Rings. But in 2017, Kevin did say Lord of the Rings is way better than Clerks and way more imaginative and an entertaining film but it does contain a lot more walking looking at Lord of the Rings and looking at mall rats. First thing I would have to say is is middle earth. Obviously that's the mall Mordor. That is the stage where the game show took place. Mount doom is the game show. When it came to picking my Frodo, I was torn between TS and Brody, but I actually went with TS because in my opinion, he originally was supposed to be the main focus of the story. And he was the one who originally started on the journey throughout the movie. Brody was the one that was kind of helping him along the way and trying to patch up, help him patch up his relationship. So to me, Brody was more of a Sam character. He was the sidekick throughout most of the movie. You can argue which one was a sidekick, which one was the main hero. But I felt like in the end, uh, after Sam helped uh, TS accomplish his goal, he went off and got his rosy cotton. When it comes to Mary and Pippin, obviously Jay and Silent Bob, the slapkick side characters who were getting into trouble as much as they were trying to help the characters. Gandalf, well, that's Stan Lee. He is the wizard, of course. He represents wisdom and guidance throughout the movie. Gollum, that was Shannon, of course. His precious is getting the butt stuff, which is kept out of the reach by Sam and Frodo. In the end, he falls off the edge of Mount Doom and is taken to jail. Saruman the White? Well, Jared Svenning is the easy answer. He causes the issues for our main hero, but he answers to a higher power, the network. Now, when it comes to the precious itself, I felt like in this movie it was represented by self-focus or the ego of our main characters. 
They were so self-absorbed in the beginning that it blocked them from having a healthy, loving relationship with their girlfriends. It wasn't until both of them seemed to cast off their ego and see things from their girlfriend's side, you know, viewpoints that they were able to get back with them. So for me, the game show, they went to Mount Doom, they cast off their egos, got their girlfriends back. End of story. Is that the end of your Lord of the Rings thing? That is the end of my Lord of the Rings review. Does anybody have anything to say to that? I'm actually on board with that. I would have said Brody. As Frodo. As Frodo. I was very, originally I had them both as Frodo, but I wanted to pick him as Sam only because he got the girl second. He, he's finished his story after TS. So I figured in this case, his was Rosie Cotton. All right, professor, what do you give it? I am going to give this a B minus. Oh, shit. Listen to that. All right, True Believer, what do you give it? I go B, and that's mainly because you said butt stuff. <laughs> uh, what about you? What, what, are you, what are you going to give it? Well, I got to be honest. I wasn't listening for like the first half of it. Um, but as soon as you said butt stuff, you got my attention. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give that a B minus as well. I'm all tingly. You should be. That that's probably the best one he's done. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, right. Yeah. So you had something similar, but you had Brody as Yeah, I would have said Brody as as, as Frodo. Frodo there. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. And that was John's. Moment. Uh all right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we can rate this bitch. I'm ready. Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. You are ready to watch that at any time. Walking out of the theater, yeah, I'll see that again. Or somebody says, you want to watch this? Yes, I will definitely watch this. A one fuck movie is a movie that you've seen it and you had a desire to see it, but after that, it's done. That was a dumb movie. I don't want to see that any ever again. And what is a zero? A zero fuck movie, that is a movie that you feel like somebody owes you two hours of your life back. Fuck you for making me watch that. And in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, who wants to go first? Would you like me to go first? Do you want to go first? Well, I figured you just heard from me. You probably want to hear more. Yeah, lay it on me. All right, well, there you go. Okay. He's riding high right now. Yeah, he is. You have a minute and 30 seconds. Go. With Mallrats, Kevin Smith attempted to recapture the pure 80s campy film formula with cookie cutter jokes, slapstick shenanigans, and even throwing in the expected 80s unnecessary nudity. He also was trying to create a comic book theme, uh, comic book theme movie focusing on continuity uh, where his characters cross over like Spider-Man and Daredevil in the same comic book. Personally, I enjoyed the ride. The thing that makes Kevin great is that he makes a movie that speaks to the Kevin Smith audience. His second movie was his transition from independent director to the big time. My favorite Kevin Smith movies are the ones that he made based on his own passions in life. He's built a huge following, and it's one reason this movie has achieved cult status. I don't know another director who interacts as much with his fan base as Kevin Smith. And, and, he, gets a big and he gets big bonus points for convincing Stan the Man Lee to appear in this movie. Regarding the script, 
I love the banter and the comic book references. So many quotable lines. And the story is simple to understand. Two asshole boyfriends both lose their girlfriends on the same day and spend time bitching about it at the mall. But they come up with a plan to get them back and ultimately, in true 80s fashion, the nerds beat the jocks and they win. It's not rocket science. It doesn't seem like this style would work in the 90s, and technically I guess it didn't. But that didn't stop it from achieving a huge following. In lots of ways, it's appreciated more than it was back then. I worked in a comic book store named Psycho 5 for many years. This seriously influenced my my enjoyment and the bias that I have towards this movie. I was surrounded from, with people just like Brody. In a lot of ways, I was Brody. Hell, my wife still can't park in our garage because my collection of comics and action figures. So this movie speaks my language. If you like a typical Kevin Smith stylized movie that is part of the View Askew universe, you will definitely enjoy this movie. And I would recommend it to you. I would also recommend watching Clerks 1, Two and Dogma probably before you see Mallrats just because I feel like those are the better movies. But if you enjoy 80s camp and get the references, this is definitely a good movie for you. So for that reason, I give Mallrats three and a half fucks. All right, three and a half fucks from the comic book guy. Who would like to go next? I'll go. Okay. Mallrats. This movie I stated earlier and I still feel strongly that this is... Uh, a young body of work that Kevin Smith has put together. The characters are likable enough in in their own uh, loser way. T.S. And, and Brody, these are characters that have definitely uh, taken advantage of their girlfriends and deserve what they have uh, sown in their characters as we meet them. Shannon, he is a total dickhead that is very, very easy to dislike because there's nothing redeemable about the character as well. Jay and Silent Bob are a delight in the movie. They, uh, they are very, very uh, happy, good characters that I always enjoy seeing on screen. In general, I thought that the story arcs that we get with uh, Brody and T.S., they're passable, and I enjoyed uh, the uh, the supporting cast that we get in our other characters. Most specifically, uh, I totally dug uh, Michael Rooker in this. He he was so fun to watch. I I I loved his his uh, balls to the wall attitude anytime that he was on screen. He was just so delightfully amusing to watch. I thought that in general. Uh, it is a bit of a time capsule, remembering the times of how much the mall used to be this destination for uh, for young people to be. You didn't have to have money. You could just hang out at the mall all day. And it certainly uh, was something that I would do from time to time as well. It was just fun just to be hanging out at the mall for the afternoon. And I, uh, I, I certainly thought about, you know, the times that me and my friends were, we would just go and, you know, just kind of sort of haunt different places throughout the mall. Kevin Smith, I think, is a good storyteller. And I do enjoy his other bodies of works. Mall Rats, I think, though, it, it just feels young for Kevin Smith. I'm giving this 2.5 fucks. 2.5 fucks from the professor. All right. Uh, 
guests typically go last, so you can. Okay. You, you okay. can you can take a deep breath here. Take bud. a real deep breath. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a, a big Kevin Smith fan for a long time, and I think a lot of it goes down to his independent style of filmmaking and the way he would get things done. And one of the first things I ever heard him say was, uh, while making Clerks, you know, he maxed out all his credit cards, asked everybody he knew for money, and he just got it done and i've always admired that about him and when i saw mall rats i could tell that the feel was completely different but the same and what i mean by that was the production uh mall rats looks like a produced movie from a studio and um it just had a completely different look than clerks but it had the heart of clerks and it had um the same vibe because the way Kevin Smith knows how to write uh, his characters and his dialogue. I, I look at Kevin Smith and the first thing I think of is, you know, a dogma or clerks Two or yes, mall rats. I think mall rats has some of his best dialogue. And if it weren't for Jason Lee, I don't know uh, if it would have the same effect, he brings Brody to life. And even when Brody shows up in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back or the reboot, he still has that energy. And, and that's all Jason Lee, right? So I think uh, he definitely makes this movie very enjoyable. The fact that Kevin Smith pays homage to the things that he does, and one of them happens to be my favorite movie, which automatically gives it more points for me, right? I mean, not much else I can say about Mallrats that I haven't already said. You know, what did I like about it? I love the cast. I like the soundtrack. I like uh, the story. Um, you know, and, and I agree with you, Professor. It is a young Kevin Smith, and I think it's a young, really talented Kevin Smith at this point. And I think as his career goes on, uh, his movies, some of his movies get better, and some of his movies not so much. But that's the brilliance of him is he's not afraid to do it. I mean, he made a fucking movie about a guy turning into a fucking walrus. What kind of shit is that, right? Um but he takes chances, and uh, I really admire him as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. He's absolutely brilliant. Is this my favorite Kevin Smith movie? No. Is it in my top five? Easily. You know what I mean? Is it in my top three? Maybe. You know. Uh, so for that reason, I am going to give Mallrats four fucks. All right, four fucks. Good stuff. All right, good sir. Would you like to give it a shot? Sure. Keep mine short and sweet. But uh, yeah, Mallrats. This is the first Kevin Smith movie I ever saw. I would say 10 or 11 years old the first time I saw it. So as John said, boobies. Makes <laughs> everything better, right? Uh, well, I am the talk of butt stuff. <laughs> it hooked me early on. Uh, hooked me to Kevin Smith. I love Kevin Smith stuff. And it's it's that dialogue. It's the quick wittiness. It's Brody always having a response, always having something, something clever and funny to say. It's the cartooniness of Jay and Silent Bob and just the way Jay is, everything he has to say. It's just nonstop laughs for me. And like I said, this has always been a feel good movie for me. It's something when I'm bummed out, I need to put something on to cheer me up. This is the movie and has been since I was a kid. And I mean, I can't, Honestly, can't count the times I've watched this movie. And because of that, and because it's the 90s, it's the time that I grew up. So there's a lot of, 
you know, it's the nostalgia of the growing up in the malls. I mean, it is the mall in the 90s. Every mall I'd ever been to during that time, it looks exactly like that. So for all those reasons, I give it all the fucks, all five fucks. Five solid fucks from the true believer, Zach. Shocker. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I know. Shocker. Um, I like what you said about uh, when you're bummed out and it's your feel-good movie. And that's the power of movies. You know what I mean? And that's the power of storytelling. And I fucking dig that. So that's awesome. In, conjun- in conjunction with it also being uh, an impressionable movie that the first time you see it, if you see it for the first time and it knocks your socks off, as well as, you know, those other things, that that's the uh, that's the secret sauce, if you will, that makes a, a movie leave an indelible mark on you that it, you uh, are are content to uh, overlook uh, any imperfections. You just gloss over those because the movie just makes you feel so satisfied inside. Before we finish up with this movie, I want to revisit the question I asked earlier, which is, uh, what is your favorite Jay and Silent Bob insertion into a movie? Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That's your favorite, Professor? I don't have one. I think this movie. I think Mallrats. I got to say Dogma. At the Diner? I just loved their whole role in, in Dogma, just the fact that he put them in such this this serious, somewhat funny story. It just it worked great. Yeah, and all solid choices. Mallrats, Dogma, Chasing Amy. I mean, Jay and Silent Bob are such a good team, and I would watch them anywhere. But I like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back because it's focused about them. We get the reoccurring characters from the VSQ universe, and he uh, has a wink and a nod at the audience the whole time. He's breaking the fourth wall before breaking the fourth wall was cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. All right, so tonight we are going to go back to the Bronco Helmet and see what kind of movie that we can fetch out, and I guess we'll let our true believer... Because I'm pretty sure you were like one of the first ones to put anything into the hat. So it's natural that you get to pick something out of the hat. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm very excited about this moment, though. Reach in deep. I hope I get one of mine. <laughs> I think that disqualifies you. I think that's bias. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I did get one of mine. Oh, really? did you really? Yes. That's uh, awesome. One of my faves. One of Don's faves, I think. Uh all right, uh, 1999, 1998. You asked for mindless movie? <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, that's that's definitely a mindless one. You, you <laughs> need the absurd, right? Yeah, I guess we do. If you want to know the movie that we're going to be reviewing next, go ahead and check out our website and any of our social media platforms. Uh, speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? If you're looking for easy access to our podcast, our show notes, movie trivia, the likes, check out our website at threeguysinaflick.com. We're also available on all the social media platforms and podcast hosting sites. All right. I want to thank Ronnie and Jill for listening. And of course, our true believer, Zach, who came onto the show. Uh, Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a great time. Oh, good, good. Uh, Loved having you. Did a great job. Thanks to everybody who listens. And so, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm Zach. Adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves not these things. Noochie Boochies. 
Snoochie boochie boochies. How do you turn this thing around here, guy? Uh, all right. Uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and hold on for a second. <laughs> oh, you two bozos work together? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I deal with it all day, bud. All day long. All day. I'm so sorry. I feel your pain. <laughs> See, that's fucked up because I like to think that I'm a pleasure to be around. What is this in the extended version? TS is dressed up for a play recital. You can probably cut that. Well, yeah, it's not in the fucking movie. I just wanted to say boobies. <laughs> you don't need a reason, John. You can just say boobies. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, can I grab my drink real fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Easter Bunny bed. Just a surface character. I say it wasn't the fact that she was trying on all those panties. No. Okay. <laughs> nice try, dude. Nice try. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Roper was Norm Feldman. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. A little bit before your time there, yeah. man. Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for fuck's sakes. You know what we forgot? Do you want to go back? God <laughs> damn it. We're for- asking to wash his hand? No. Uh, well, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> um, the fucking comic book shop. Oh, oh Steve Dave yeah. and yeah. the kid we- getting caught in the escalator. I say, oh, could- for fuck's sakes, we forgot the escalator. Butt stuff. <laughs> uh, well, throwing up boobies. <clears throat> boobies and butt stuff. <laughs> Cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. After this, Brody requires that his friend Trisha retrieve footage of... Requests. of What? Brody requests. What did I say? Requires. What's the difference? A lot. She doesn't say, I require you to do it. Thanks, fucker. I didn't need... It was a rhetorical question, Okay. I'm with John. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, and for the record, nudity is never needless. There's always a need for nudity. And if you think otherwise, you are just fooling yourself. Why? Because everybody wants Mr. Toad's wild ride. Am I right or am I right? Oh, you're right. Thank you. All right, fuck off. Good night. <laughs>